Welcome to episode two of Trinity Reconnected. My name is Jerry Foley. Forty years ago this summer, I graduated from Trinity College Dublin with a degree in economics and politics. Most of my working life since then has been as a broadcast journalist, mainly in the UK, where I still live. But what happened to my fellow 1982 grads from across all disciplines? Between now and the end of June, I'm going to chat to some of them to try and find out what happened next. My three guests today initially travelled far and wide in search of jobs and adventure before finally returning to Ireland. So let's say hello to all of them, starting with you, Alice. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I graduated with a Bachelor in Social Studies and a Certificate of Qualification in Social Work in 1982. Worked for a couple of years initially in the Coombe Hospital and then in Western Road Social Services. Um, but they were only temporary jobs. Jobs, as you know, in the 80s were hard to come by. Headed off to New Zealand in 1984, spent two years, a year in New Zealand and a year in Australia, sheep farming, childminding, general odd jobs. I used to work for a couple of months and then travel around for a bit. Have to say it was it was a good two years. Um, came back in 1986, was lucky enough to get probably the last permanent appointment when the government embargo came in. Um, so I started work in 87 here in Carlo with what was then the Southeastern Health Board. Stuck with them as they became the HSE and subsequently Tusla, um, working in child protection initially and subsequently in fostering. I should say that in the middle, in 1990, I spent over two years in Sudan working with Concern on women's development programs. Um, met my husband there, he's, he's Sudanese, we, but we've lived in Carlo since we got married in 93. Um, and as I worked with Tusla up until last April. I want to bring Odwin in now just to give us a, a brief overview of what he'd been up to. Yeah, no, I graduated in economics and administration. I, I then went off and done a higher diploma because there wasn't really any work to be done anywhere. But during that time, I started working with an MEP, Brendan Halligan. Actually, I helped get him become an MEP. Um, but when that was over, you know, after a year of trying to find work here, I ended up in London working from the Greater London Council and the Inner London Education Authority. Eventually, I came back. But, uh, Brendan Halligan brought me back to set up the Institute of European Affairs. Uh, took a couple of years putting that together and then kind of ran it for until about 1997. Um, and, and between that and a couple of things, I've worked in local governments with local development agencies. Watching everything unfold, I, I started doing part-time lecturing um, and ended up becoming a full-time lecturer in TU Dublin. And I'm now chair of the MSc in Spatial Planning. Frank, um, you had... Um... You were and once actually found a job uh, coming out of college, uh, although it wasn't too long before you found you also had to go overseas to get the next job. That's right. Uh, I did economics, politics, finished, did it, got onto an ANCO course uh, and ended up with placement and then a job in Bosch and Lom and Waterford in the production planning materials management area. Uh, so I did that for about three years. and. Uh, Got a job at Irish Leathers Group, who uh, obligingly went bankrupt a few weeks later. <laughs> no um, coincidence with you uh, arriving yeah. and it going bust. <laughs> I mean, it was an awful tragic situation for a lot of people. But for me, I was very worried about this CV that would look nice and didn't look nice having t taken this disaster of a job. Uh, but when they went bankrupt, they gave me a good excuse, I suppose. But uh, as a result of a letter from Audrin, actually, telling me that the streets of London were paved with gold. Uh, 
I headed off to England and what probably was my best job when I had a job, I suppose, uh, with what became Carpetland as a, a procurement manager, which basic, which was great because it gave me a lot of scope and it was big enough to to sort of get new systems in and stuff like that. And uh, so I really enjoyed that. did that for three years. gave me a bit of confidence and I went off to the States at San Francisco. I lived there for six years, worked at this life wasn't for me or whatever, and had this romantic notion of coming back to Ireland and opening up a bookshop. So that's what I did. I returned, came back to, I'm originally from Dublin, but my father was from Leitrim. So came back to Sligo, opened up a bookshop, discovered you couldn't make money in 1996 uh, with a little bookshop in Sligo. So started supplying libraries, public libraries and academic libraries around Ireland. So basically been doing that since. Was that, uh, there was a there was a thing niggling at me for years. I, well, number one, I always wanted to set up my own business, and the second one was a result of a. It, it's amazing. I talk about economic analysis and political analysis. We were, one of our tutorials, if you remember, on Monday evening with Basil Chubb. Indeed, he, he spoke about the difficulty of getting books from Fred Hanna's across the road. And I don't know, but that thought stuck in my brain for years and years and years thinking. That's amazing. That yeah. is amazing. It's just one one thing. And I, well, I always loved books and all that kind of stuff as well. Like as, as people would say that have bookshops. But um, but that that sort of said it, it gave me the idea that there was a need there, I suppose. But that was that was as much as my um, marketing analysis went. <laughs> you mentioned there that. You initially uh, went to London after a few years working in Ireland because Audrin was good enough to say to you there's plenty of jobs over in the UK. Audrin, mm. just with you, actually, I mean, over the course of four decades, you've been part of the glue that's been very keen to keep the contacts between graduates. Why is that so important to you? Well, I suppose when I went to college, it was a massive turning point for me. Like, I mean, it's... I kind of almost grew up through the five years I was in the college. Um, but I, I met some good friends and I've always kept in contact with friends and used to write to people all the time. And, and, uh, but when it came to a certain point, when it came up to an anniversary, I just said it was time to bring people back together again. Keeping that contact and catching up with people again. The, the group of us had been so big, like yourself, Jerry, you know, people who, who hadn't had contact since we'd left college. Um, do you know, and, and it was just, it was great to have that and to, to catch up with people, as I say. And um, One of the areas I wanted to have a look at, you, you all talked about various moments when you were working outside Ireland. And Alice, with you, you were working and you decided, I'm going to go and work for Concern, the international aid agency, and in Sudan. Why yes. Sudan? Why Concern at that moment? Um, it was something I'd always wanted to do. I should say that I had leave of absence from the health, what was at that stage, the, the Southeastern Health Board. So I didn't actually lose a job. It wasn't a, a risk to my job situation. You mm. could go and come back. Um, concern, I suppose concern, it was a matter of, of which one. I, I think I did an interview for concern and possibly for goal as well. Concern offered me the job. Um, my initial thing was I didn't want to go to a country that was very, very crowded um, because I don't like big crowds. So they sent me to Sudan and the rest is history, as they say. Um, Personally, it was huge because you met your husband, who is Sudanese, yeah. got married, came back to Ireland. And if I may ask you, Ireland is now a very multicultural country and all the better for it. But 
Carlo in the early 90s, I suspect, wasn't that multicultural. Was that difficult? Ahmed was literally the only black man in Carlo when we got married. Um, people would stop in the street. Kids would look around the end of the aisles in the shop, the shops at him. Um, there would occasionally, the, the only other reason that, that, that people kept, black people were in Carlo were two reasons. They were either students in the priest college, uh, the seminary here in Carlo, or they were psychiatric uh, students, psychiatric doctors in the local psychiatric hospital. So if Ahmed was ever somewhere in town, say waiting for me somewhere, people would start to tell them their problems because they assumed he was either a psychiatrist or a priest or, or a student. <laughs> well. it, you know, it's, it's amusing looking back on it now. It, at those times, there was a different atmosphere, definitely. It was, it was, there was a novelty element to him. As I suppose time went on sort of into the late 90s and as people, became, migration became a bigger, or immigration became bigger, that there would definitely have been issues, um, both both him and the children, not not to the extent of, I suppose, really serious stuff, but but small little pieces that they would very much notice. Um, and for our children as well, just, just small items of racism that's there, it's there the whole time, there is an undercurrent there, do you know, and everybody will go, I oh I'm not racist, but but there's definitely an element at times, um, and and they would all have experienced that. I would even have experienced in terms of, of people wouldn't believe that my children were mine. Um, oh, I, that must have been tough. Oh, I've been congratulated for having to managed to adopt a brother and sister. Um, that 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 was very you know that I they, they assumed that I had adopted them unless if Ahmed was with me then at least they they might believe they were mine, but on more than one occasion I've been assumed that that they were adopted, um, you know so it's it it's it, but it has changed people have become more accepting on one level, um, but there is still definitely an undercurrent there at times as well. And I'll do a nice. You know when we saw the depression, I think everybody thought everybody was going to leave who had actually come to the country. Um, but it wasn't, it was the Irish got out first. Um, and everybody else has bedded down and they are now as Irish as anybody. You know, they're, you, you get people with Polish names coming out with the thickest Dublin accents you'll ever come across. So it's, it really is, it's, it's a lovely thing to see. Now, as you know, in every episode, I like to bring in some news headlines from Ireland and around the world. What was happening in 1982? And here now are those headlines in the company of ex-RT newsreader, Claude Walsh. Political drama and crisis as the Fine Gael and Labour coalition government with Garrett Fitzgerald as Taoiseach and Michael O'Leary as Thánaiste lose a vote on their controversial budget by 82 votes to 81. Independent TDs joined forces with Fianna Fáil on January the 27th to vote against budget measures which included a proposal to put VAT on children's shoes. The government collapsed and a general election has been called for mid-February. In 82 News, one of the biggest movies of all time was released in this year. Steven Spielberg's E.T. delighted audiences and critics alike, becoming a huge blockbuster hit. Filmed on an original budget of just over $10 million, it has now grossed close to $800 million in sales worldwide. E.T., what a hit that was. But, um, Alice, you were reminding me that uh, we were lucky enough to see an actual movie being made in front of our eyes oh. in Trinity in 1982. 
in edu educating Rita, I was I was um, doing my final placement, and I was in rooms in the GMB, and it was been it was been filmed literally outside it. I have photos looking out the window. Um, they had a couple. Uh, they'd snow scene one day, which was absolutely because it was the middle of a beautiful summer. There yes. was snow scene one day, which was like this foam. All you can liken it to was like the foam of a fire extinguisher. Um, and there was the, the the catering at the end of the back door. If you went at, if you went round at lunchtime, you could take, get free sandwiches and take them back up to your room with you. It was great. Um, <laughs> That's a real student attitude. Let's get some free food out of it. I was student. I was still a student. I was doing my last placement. Um, and certainly some of our colleagues, I can remember a couple offhand, got jobs as extras. The the sum of 28 pounds a day sticks that was a lot it was a lot and because i was doing a placement and had to work full-time at that for the it was actually in probation we couldn't the, the social work students who were still in college we couldn't do the extras and Aldwin, you have a memory of um lying in the sun and seeing this fake snow yeah i got sunburnt while <laughs> they were snowing yeah it was yeah. fabulous yeah it's uh and to see that was that was supposed to be Liverpool, and that was as close they could get to it. Yeah, no, it was it was, it was a great moment. Now the other the other news story there was about the political turmoil. But you were very actively involved in Labour politics from the get go in Trinity. I was. I was a member of the branch and was chair of the branch at that particular point in time. So uh, I kind of would have been involved in the three general elections. Um, in two different constituencies, so you could see how how active I was in college for one part of it anyway. And I didn't pay it. It was an interesting time. I think the party itself was incredibly split, and um, it was shortly after, kind of, when the next government fell, that Michael O'Leary actually resigned after a party conference and joined Fine Gael. That's right. Yeah, I'm in. Partially instrumental in that one as well. We were Ooh, a little bit of skullduggery going on. There was, Actually, there was when, lots of skullduggery going on. Well, the thing which I remember about it was I was always interested in politics. Frank, you were doing politics as well. You yeah. were keeping an eye on what was happening. I was lucky enough uh, when the second election in 1982 took place in November of that year. Yeah. I was in RT working for Today Tonight and was covering that election as a reporter. So, Frank, what do you remember as a politics student of the the way politics was happening in Ireland at the time? The economy was on its knees. Politics was in chaos. There was a bitter dispute between uh, Gary Fitzgerald and Charlie Hawhey. Yeah, I, I, I don't have great re recollections of it. I, I do recall that Hawhey-Fitzgerald thing, you know. Actually, I was I, I must have been in Waterford at that time because I remember Charlie Hoy on the hustings in Waterford. And uh, my only recollection of it was he was, you know, bringing up the republicanism and we'll die for Ireland and all this old rubbish um, and getting great cheers and hurrahs. So my image would have been of, of a sort of a, a, a an Ireland that hadn't progressed very much, you know, when people were were uh, cheering this sort of nonsense, you know. Alice, you were working in the front line with social services, particularly children's welfare, and that coincided with the great Celtic Tiger, Boom, etc. But you were seeing the harsh reality of life for many families, even at a time when, on the surface, everything seemed to be going well. Oh, there's there's a whole part that, that the Celtic Tiger left behind. Um, I would have seen it both, obviously, with the, the families I was I was working with. Um, you know, child protection goes on. It, 
covers all classes end up with, with you know can be but i suppose that the general perception is that it would have been very much passed by a, a whole tranche of, of society were passed by by the Celtic tiger. And then even, um, I know, I remember last week, I think I mentioned to you that when some of the people last week were talking about sort of the boom and, and then the bust in 2008, 2009, as well as working with the health board, I was on the board of um, the money advice and budgeting service here in Carlo. Um, so would have very much seen, you know, the mortgages being hit, people who literally were knocked absolutely for six, who wouldn't have expected to be, people who were working, they they, they wouldn't have been people who you would have thought would have been on the breadline, but but it was awful. Um, a lot of people who are poor had just been left with money thrown at them um, in terms of welfare and become welfare dependent. Yeah. Um, there were serious, serious problems. And, and like Alice said, like I would have been on the money advice bo um, board in Dublin North uh, East. And um, people who had debts of 50,000 on credit cards, everything else, yeah. the whole thing collapsed. Um, I actually lost 60% of my income at that stage because I was also doing planning consultancy in the west of Ireland. Um, the, I go back to an election of 1997 where um, everything changed. That Fianna Fáil PD win changed the dynamics in Ireland and it became a cash-based throwing money at things but not fixing any problems. And the problems when the, uh, when the crash came, those who were least able to do anything were back at the very bottom of the pile. Yeah. Uh, it was a horrible time. I worked very hard, but I always worked, looked forward and didn't look back. I, I was lucky I didn't stick my neck out in the, you know, I mean, I had the Bank of Scotland come in to me one time wanting me to move my account to them from the bank. I'm with Bank of Ireland. So would you move to Bank of Scotland? We'll give you an overdraft for 100,000 euros. Well, I, I didn't have an overdraft on my business, but I knew if I had it, one I'd likely spend it. So no questions asked. Well, and I know it was madness. That's Jerry, what I was trying to say, because there, there was, as Audrin says, there was some people who were on social welfare anyway, and they just threw social welfare at them. But it was the people, and we were getting it here in this house, we were getting it. These, these letters from the bank offering you that have a pre-written check in it for 10 grand that you could automatically have to do work on your house or go on a holiday and people buying second homes and stuff. And those are the people who then, when the crash came, they'd taken out these huge mortgages, they'd taken out these loans, they'd bought apartments in Bulgaria, whatever. You know, people could question that the that why they did it but it it does it was just the banks was literally as frank says throwing money at people if you had a credit card every time you got your credit card bill they tell you oh we've raised your limit another two grand or three grand i remember writing to them and saying our limits as high as we wanted to go do not raise our limit anymore uh no the other thing about the the overdrafts that i'm very conscious of um is that generally with overdrafts even if it's a company which mine was you do sign a personal guarantee. So, you know, I was signing away my house if I, you know, it, in theory, you know, you could be signing away your house. Anyway, I said no, so it didn't matter. But uh, but that that was the sort of things were thrown. And the amount of, I mean, look, I'm not a, a big businessman by any means, but the amount of offers I got of, you know, buying stuff at that time, 
you know. Now I'd made one or two mistakes. I, I mean, and I did get into debt a bit, but but nothing like when I look back on it, I think what one side of you says, I'm really glad I bought that. Another side of you says, I'm really glad I didn't buy that. You know, that sort of way. <laughs> or, I, you know, or I'm sorry I bought that, but imagine if I bought that as well. I mean, and look, I'm not a millionaire by any means, but but it, it was a time when it was too money was too easy. It yeah. wasn't happening uh, anything like that on that scale in the UK at the same time. Let, let's leave that behind for a second as we're coming towards the end. I'm just intrigued, Audrin, now that you are a lecturer in front of students, you remember being a student sitting in front of the teacher. W what kind of approach are you as a lecturer? What, what would your students say about you? Oh, they'd say I was in their face because I'm constantly trying to bring them back into class and make them engage as much as possible. Um, I, if I had me in front of me, I would have given me an awful time. I wouldn't have been <laughs> sitting as quiet as I was in college. Um, I, I think the idea here is that, you know, with, with students, it's the idea is trying to bring the best out of them, um, particularly the undergrads. Uh, they've had a particularly horrible time at the moment. Um, Very much so. I've lectured blank screens as well as blank people in front of me at, at times. Um, but, you know, teaching master students is a complete blessing. It's wonderful. In fact, you learn more than you can ever give them. It's, it's a fantastic mix and array of things. Um, I, I think they, I'd hope they think I was kind of um, worthwhile having as a lecturer. You know what, Audrey, that's not a bad so. recommendation for any of us to have from all of the jobs we've done between us. But it's been a joy talking to the three of you this afternoon. So can I say a thank you to Alice Moore in Carlo, Audrey Reed in Dublin and Way Out West. That was Frank Kelly. Thanks very much for joining us here on Trinity Reconnected. We'll have another episode for you sometime in mid-February. But for now, thanks for joining me, Jerry Foley, and thanks for listening.